All right. So, is there anybody that was here yesterday that's not here today? <laughs> Nobody? Good. Okay. We, we kept 100%. That's good. No. <laughs> yeah. If you're not here today, raise your hand. Let me see. No. <laughs> All right. We, we finished up yesterday, roughly on page 154. We kind of jumped forward uh, in the manual. We were covering <clears throat> some history. We covered uh, kind of how we came into understanding what we understand concerning healing. And and then we jump back to, uh, to kill some sacred cows and get those out of the way. And then we're going to continue on that a little bit today just to hit some things because there are some things you just need to kind of get out of the way. <clears throat> One of those is on page 154. <clears throat> Usually what happens is you go through a course like this and then <clears throat> and we, and we try to get you out praying for people, ministering to people, getting people healed on the street, in the Walmarts, wherever you go. And invariably, you, get, you come to a meeting like this, and you get all pumped up, and you're ready to go, and then you get out into a store or something, and you're pushing your cart through the store, and you see somebody sick, and you think, I'm going to go minister to them. This is it. This is my breakout moment. I'm going to do this. And as soon as you see them, you start walking toward them. And on your way there, all of a sudden, you have the thought, what if it doesn't work? Right? That's what happens, okay? You have that thought, what if it doesn't work? And then all these other thoughts, just once you have that thought, these other thoughts just start flooding in about, well, if it doesn't work, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to give God a black eye, so to speak. You know, uh, you know he's, it's going to embarrass God because it's not working. And, maybe I'm, and then before you even get there, you veer off because you think, why should I even try? Because now I've even doubted, and if I doubt, it's not going to work. And so you automatically just short-circuit yourself based on those thoughts. Now, so I want to share some things with you. <clears throat> and first off... Notice on page 154 of the manual, in Matthew 21, verse 18, he says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, Notice, and this is where people think, well, if I doubt, I'm not going to get anything. And then, of course, the James says, uh, if you're double-minded, then you won't receive anything from God. And the devil uses Scripture against you, right? He knows Scripture, and he uses it against you. And so automatically, you think if you have a thought that says it ain't going to work, that that's the doubt. I'd heard that <clears throat> most of my life. So, finally, after hearing it for, you know, 20, 30 years, I decided to actually look it up, <laughs> Okay. It's amazing what you find out. You know, you think you know the definition of something, sure. and you run with that definition until you look it up. When you look it up, you find out that in the definition I thought it was after all. So I looked up the word doubt in Strong's Concordance. <clears throat> it is the word diacrino, and it means literally to separate thoroughly, <clears throat> literally and reflexively, to withdraw from. Now, do you hear that? To doubt means to withdraw from, or by implication, to oppose. Figuratively, to discriminate or to decide, <clears throat> to hesitate, 
You hear what he said? <clears throat> to contend, the way it's translated in the King James is to contend, to make, to differ or difference, to discern, to doubt, to judge, to be partial, to stagger or waver. Right? Now, <clears throat> the definition here basically says that to doubt, you notice there's nothing here about a thought. Nothing here about a thought. When you're walking, well, in James, it says that before you can sin, you have to be tempted to sin. Right? Before the sin, there's a temptation. If there's no temptation, basically, then you don't go into sin. So, <clears throat> now, it says whatever is not of faith is sin. You cannot doubt in faith. Right? I know that's deep. Okay. okay. You cannot doubt in faith. So doubting is sin. Right? Right. Whatever's not a faith is sin. Doubting, you can't doubt in faith, so it's sin. Now, here it says that <clears throat> the definition of doubt basically is to stop, to hesitate, to back off, to withdraw from. Okay? Now, when you're walking over, you're walking toward the, uh, the person that, that needs healing. And at some point as you walk toward them, like I said, you have that thought in your head that says, oh, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? What if, what if this is going to happen? And then I'm going to look foolish or whatever it is. You have all that stuff going on. Now, <clears throat> if you have to have, be tempted before you can sin, then there has to be a temptation before the sin. Now, if you having the thought, what if it doesn't work, if that is doubt, which would be sin, then that means there had to be something before that for you to be tempted. Right? Mm -hmm. But see, what we've done, <clears throat> what the devil has done is he has moved the mark yeah. so that you think you have already done it. So then you give up whenever actually the thought that goes through your head, what if it doesn't work? That's not the sin. That's not the doubt. That's the temptation to doubt. You get that? You're tempted at that moment. You're walking toward them. You're pushing your little cart and you think, all right, I'm going to go lay hands on them. God's going to heal them. It's going to be awesome. And then on the way, you have this thought, what if it doesn't work? Okay, right there, you just freeze. I can move you. Just pause right there. You just stop. Freeze frame. <clears throat> at that moment, you have not doubted. You are not in sin. At that moment, you are experiencing the temptation to doubt. You get that? The reason you're experiencing the temptation is because that thought is trying to get you to do what? Stop, hesitate, withdraw, right? To stop, to hesitate, to back off from. So the key is, at that point, you're not doubting yet. To have that thought go through your head, you're not doubting. That is the temptation. Now, like Kenneth Hagin used to say, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair, right? So... The, the doubt, the thought may shoot through your mind, but you're to take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the moment you have that thought, that's the time when you stop and go, yep, there's a thought. I recognize that. That's a temptation. I'm not going to fall to it. And you go right on through and you lay hands. Yeah. You go right on through. Now, the moment you stop, right there when you freeze frame, so to speak, you have a choice. Do you stop, hesitate, and back off into doubt and sin? Or do you decide to take that thought captivity and move forward into faith and do what you're supposed to do? Now, do you understand the difference there? Yeah. 
the key is, and then really it comes down to just this. It's a simple thing. You have not doubted until you stop, hesitate, or back off. At that point, you're experiencing the temptation to doubt. You make the choice. You don't just, nobody has ever fallen into sin. Right? You understand that? People walk into sin with their eyes wide open. Nobody falls into it. Nobody stumbles because, oh, there, I just fell right into sin. Didn't see it coming. Nope, that didn't happen. You have to be tempted. Right? So it's the same thing with healing and moving backwards into doubt or sin is that you, there is a temptation and you make the choice not to do what you're supposed to do. Right? Now, this is a simple thing. One page completely covers it. Okay? Not going to spend a whole lot of time. <clears throat> now, I, I showed you on page 154 the definition of doubt out of Strong's. I gave you the definition of doubt out of Thayer's, which is a deeper Greek uh, dictionary, so to speak. <clears throat> and then on the next page, Mark 11:22, it's just very simple. It says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, I've heard all kinds of different translations of that. Have faith of God. Have the faith of God. All these different ways. Bottom line, it all comes down to the same thing. Your faith is in God. Amen. That's what, no matter how you translate it, it goes back to where you put your faith. Okay? Listen, <clears throat> nowhere in the Bible are you told to have faith in your faith. Mm. Right? You don't need faith in your faith. Your faith can fail. Amen. Yes. Faith in your faith is just secular humanism made to sound Christian or rather religious. You don't need faith in your faith. You need faith in God. If you put faith in your faith, see, that's what we've done. We've, put, we've created people who have faith in their faith, and at some point, they don't have faith in their faith, and then we hear statements like, well, I don't know if I have enough faith for this. Well, what are you doing? You're doubting your faith. Yeah. And when you doubt your faith, it shows that your faith is in your faith, that's even if it's a little bit. That's good. Right? You don't need faith in your faith. You're never told to have faith in your faith. You're told to have faith in God. Trust God. It's His Word that's true. All right? <clears throat> he said even when we're faithless, He's faithful. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> I, I, I never consider my faith. Jesus, and I learned that from reading the Bible, Jesus never said anything about his faith, basically. He never, you never see him doubting his faith, you know, in the sense of, well, I wonder if I can do this. I wonder. No, it was always, are you kidding me? This is my heavenly father. This is what God said. See, our faith is in him, not in our faith. You get that? <clears throat> so you need your faith in him and in his word and look at him. Now, you, 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 if you compare it to you, you compare it to your faith, then you know, okay, my faith, maybe it's not good enough. Maybe I hadn't been studying enough. Maybe I haven't been praying enough. And that's where all that comes from. But if your faith is in him, you go back, you know what? No matter where I'm at, he's the same. No matter where I'm at, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. Isn't that right? Your faith is in him. Don't put your faith in yourself or in your own faith. Again, that's just secular humanism. It, it's taking, <clears throat> it, it makes it to where our focus is on us. And that's why we hear so many times, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I have enough faith for this. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I'll, I'll try that, but I'm just not sure. It, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with him. He is faithful. Your faith is in him. Do you get that? Wonderful. And do you realize, now think about this. Jesus never turned a person away because they didn't have enough faith then why is it we make such a big deal out of no, you know, a little faith or our faith not being enough? That's, that's what I hear from Christians so much. I don't know if my faith is strong enough. I don't know if I have enough faith. Jesus never told somebody you don't have enough faith. 
Now, he told his own disciples at times, why are you faithless? You know, why aren't you believing? Remember whenever he was asleep in the back of the ship? <clears throat> he, he tells them, go to the other side. That's the command right there. We're going to the other side. Mm -hmm. Then he went in the back of the boat and laid down and went to sleep. Big storm comes up. <clears throat> all of a sudden, all the disciples are, you know, back to the back saying, Lord, don't you even care? We're dying. In here, you're back here sleeping. Don't you care? And the first thing he did was he got up and he rebuked them and said, you faithless bunch, where's your faith? Then he went, now, he said that, then he went to the front of the boat and <clears throat> commanded the wind of the sea to obey him, and they did, and it calmed down. Now, what should have happened was Peter, he's always shooting his mouth off, so you would think he'd have been the first one to do it. But really, whenever that storm came up, he should have been right at the front of the boat and said, Storm, you listen to me. The Son of God told us to go to the other side, and that's where we're going. So you get out of our way. You, slow, you know, you peace, be still, whatever has to happen, but we're going to the other side. And it would have calmed down. It would have obeyed him. Why? Because they already had the command to go to the other side. Yes. <clears throat> and that's why Jesus said, why don't you have any faith? I already told you what to do. Why? You, did I tell you to go to the other side unless a storm arises? No. He didn't say that. He said, go to the other side. <clears throat> Listen, we, you, this is going back to the authority of God's word. In you, especially with healing and sickness or any area in your life, you've got to establish this word. God has said. And so you have to decide for yourself. God wants me well. He wants you well. He wants everyone well. He wants people to be, in, to be healthy and in prosper, you know, prosperous, even as their soul prospers. Right? You have to decide that and settle it. And then when you decide that, then anything that comes up between you and health is not of God. Kill it. Destroy it. Go right through it. Command it to move. <clears throat> we, um, we're so quick that we think, you know, we're so quick to just fall to the wayside in these things. You know, we'll, we'll, we, we think we hear something from God or we see something in the Word of God and we go, yeah, that's, that's true. And then we start heading that way and the first trouble that pops up, well, it must not have been God's will. And we just back off. And yet all through the Scriptures, we we're given example after example. Every time God said do something, you have to remember, first, you go back, the pattern is always the same. You go back to the Garden of Eden. God said... You need of any tree in this garden, just not that one, mm -hmm. right? That was the first thing God said. That was what he said to, to Adam. <clears throat> then the next voice you hear is Satan. Has God truly said? Amen. What's, what's the first thing? What is his whole pattern? Doubt God's word. Mm -hmm. Has God really said that? And so <clears throat> that's the same pattern he has with everything else. Jesus said, go to the other side. Satan blows up a storm. What's he saying? Did God really say go to the other side or did he say get out here in the middle and die? And die? See, it, it all works the same. No matter what happens, Mark 4. It, Jesus said, if you don't understand the parable of Mark 4, you will not understand any other teaching he does. He says Mark 4 is the, the key to understanding all of his teachings and especially all the parables. And in Mark 4, the, the key scripture there is that he says... <clears throat> that when the sower goes out to sow the seed, and the whole thing he's talking about into four different types of soil, and those four different types of soil are four different types of people. And if you notice out of the four different types of soil, <clears throat> out of the four, only one produced anything. Only one. Only one type of soil produces anything. And out of that one type of soil, you get 30, 60, or 100 fold. The other three types of soil didn't produce anything. Fell by the wayside, you know, the heat got to them, all these things. But the key to Mark 4 is whenever Jesus said, after you sow the seed, 
the, the thief comes immediately to steal the seed that was sown in your heart. Amen. Now think about that. The seed is sown. What's the seed? The Word of God. So the word, you hear the Word of God on any topic, and immediately the thief is going to come to try to steal that seed. Now he's not going to come to you and say, oh, that scripture's not true. Because you would laugh at him and go, well, what do you mean the scripture's not true? Of course it's true. It's scripture. What he's going to come to you and say is, has God really said? He's not saying the scripture isn't true. What he, what he tries to get you to doubt is your interpretation or understanding of that scripture. You get that? So he said, and, and that was a whole key, and what you'll find out is the only thing that Satan can steal, the only type of seed that Satan can steal from you, according to Mark 4, is what you don't understand. Right? You hear that? It's what you don't understand. If, you, if there's a part you don't understand, the enemy can steal that part. He doesn't come and say the scripture isn't real. He tries to tell you, <clears throat> oh, your understanding of that isn't correct. There's a different interpretation, and you got the wrong interpretation. Right? And, and we have to realize, <clears throat> okay, so what that tells us is if I hear a message on healing... What would I think that the enemy is going to try to steal that word out of my heart with? Sickness. Isn't that right? I mean, if you hear healing, then the first thing he's going to try to do is try to hit you with some kind of sickness or your loved ones to try to steal that word out and say, no, see, healing's not real. Why? But, well, because if it was, you, you wouldn't be sick right now. Mm -hmm. Right? So whatever you hear, the opposite comes to try to steal that word from you. So if you hear a word on, on prosperity or the blessings of God financially... Guess what? You're probably going to get some uh, unexpected bills in the mail. Mm -hmm. Something, right? Or something to try to steal finances from you. And if he can't get to you, he'll hit the ones next to you. Right? right. If he knows the money's going to come from you. You know, family, kids, or something else, he'll try to take it out from them. It, you may be protected, but if he can get to them, he knows he can get the money to you, you know, from you to them. Same thing. So, <clears throat> whatever you hear about, that's, he sends the opposite to try to steal that word from you. So you just ha kind of have to set yourself to say, you know what, this is true no matter what. That's why I told you from the beginning, we must judge our experiences according to Scripture, not judge Scripture according to our experiences. If you judge your experiences according to Scripture, then whatever comes up, whatever experience you go through, you'll keep looking at Scripture and say, well, regardless of this, that's true. You know, just because, just like with Jesus in Matthew 17, just because his disciples couldn't get a boy free didn't mean it wasn't God's will. Right? So you have to decide from the beginning the authority of God's word. It does not change. What he says, he means. Amen? This, this is, of everything that, um, that I teach, or kind of across the board, this is probably the most important thing that I can teach is just for, your, for you to have absolute reliance upon the Word of God. You can't vacillate on this. You cannot, you know, fluctuate in your, your, your trust of God's Word. You have to go back. And I'm telling you, it, it's not always easy. You know, people, friends, everybody else, you'll, you'll have some things going on, and you'll make a stand, you'll say, this is what God's Word says, and <clears throat> you will get an opportunity to back off of it. You will get an opportunity for somebody to say, you know, you're just, <clears throat> you're just, uh, you're in denial. You know, <clears throat> you don't understand the situation. Well, I don't have to understand the situation. I have to understand God's word. Mm -hmm. And if I stand on that word, then the situation will change. Mm -hmm. You hear that? 
<clears throat> God's Word doesn't change to fit your situation. Your situation changes to fit God's Word. You've got to get this. Because there, you, more than likely, there will be some point in your life when you're going to be standing in a hospital room over somebody that's in a bed. <clears throat> and honestly, more than likely, their whole family is not going to believe a word that you say or that you believe. <clears throat> and they're going to question you on it. Why? Because they have decided to believe a doctor's report or their, their pastor or somebody else that says just the opposite. And you're going to have to stand there and look at them and say, well, this is the way it'll be. And say, well, what, what makes you think that? Well, because the word of God. Yeah, but what about this? And what, you know, how, how do you know God's will? I mean, you're, you know, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, see, at that point, you can't go on the defensive. It's, it is not easy going into a person's hospital room and tell them the truth. Because right. you, you don't want to hurt somebody. You don't want to offend somebody, you know, on purpose. But you have to be able to stand there and you have to stand for God no matter what they say. And if they say something opposite of what God has said, you have to be able to, in some way, to be able to say, I hear what you're saying, but God's word is true. Well, yeah, but, and a lot of times they'll be thinking they're quoting God's word. They're, they're thinking, but actually what they're doing is they're quoting man's traditions about God's word. So you have to be able to take that stand and say, this is what his word says. This is what he wants to do. Well, yeah, but, you know, God's sovereign, he can do anything. Okay, then let him. He wants to heal this person. Let him. You know, I have no problem with God's sovereignty. His sovereignty is in his word. Right? His sovereignty is what he said he would do. His sovereignty is not him being fickle. It's not him choosing this one today and that one tomorrow. You know, you live and you die. That's not the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is if a believer lays hands on a sick, they recover. That's the sovereignty of God. And who would argue against that? Devils, sickness, disease would argue against that. And you have to enforce God's sovereignty by casting those things out, making them leave, and bringing life to those people. Right? And you have to do it, or you, well, you don't have to, but you should try to do it in a way that you just don't offend everybody there. And if they get offended, that's the way it is. Bottom line, I'd rather offend people than God. Yes. And I'm not going to back off of God's word to, you know, please somebody. We were, when I first started, there was a man who went to his, ho uh, to his hotel, to his hospital room, and I was asked to go there by somebody else that was a member of their church. I wasn't a member of their church. I went in, and this man was, again, he'd, he'd already been pronounced brain dead. They gave him no hope. But when we got there, it was strange because neither the wife or anybody else was in, the, was in the, uh, the room. But this other person had already been up there before to pray, and they took me up to pray. So we stand there, and while we're praying, I mean, we're looking at the monitor. Nothing's happening in this guy's brain. And while we're praying, beep, I mean, it started, you could see the movement. It, it started, and the man began to move a little bit. And before we left there, or actually while we were still praying, this man actually opened his eyes and looked around at us. And we're standing there praying, and then when we finished praying, we turned around, and there was his wife, and the pastor of that church was standing behind us. Now, I knew of that pastor. I didn't go to their church, but I knew the pastor, and he knew of me. And again, this was before we ever launched out into full-time ministry or anything else. You know, we didn't, we didn't have a track record behind us. We didn't have a, a name or any of that kind of stuff that anybody would say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. We didn't have that. And so when we stopped, 
that first thing that pastor, the, the wife walked around, you know, was there with her husband and, and, and was just kind of paying attention to him. And me and this other man started to walk out and the pastor called this other man that was with me and said, I need, I need to talk to you. Come with me. And you could tell it wasn't good. And so they, he pulled him off to the side and you could see him standing there going, I mean, you could just see it. So I'm just kind of standing there like, you know, I was waiting for him to come to me, but he wasn't my pastor. So, you know, if he'd come to me and start doing that, I'd say, get your finger out of my face, right? <laughs> you ain't my pastor. I ain't listening to you, right? And so <clears throat> he kind of got chewed out there a bit. And then he came back over to me. And he said, well, the pastor was really upset. And I said, really? Nope. Wow, surprise. And he said, well, you know, he, he wanted to know what you were doing here. And I told him that I brought you here. And he said uh, he was real concerned about the man's wife. And he said he didn't want us giving her false hope. Oh, boy. Right? And I said, well, I, I don't do that. I don't give false hope. I said, I give Bible hope. Come on. And that's not false hope. That's truth. And he said, well, he said, apparently somebody else had been up here. And they started praying for this guy. And immediately they went to her and said, well, if you had faith, he'd be alive. You know, he'd be okay because your faith would bring him back. So, which was kind of a stretch. Even back then, it was kind of unusual to hear that. But it's not unusual to hear somebody blame somebody else for not having faith. My question was, why didn't the person that was praying, why didn't they blame themselves if they were there praying? You know, why would it go on the wife? Why does it always go to somebody else? So <clears throat> we talked about it a little bit. And this um, pastor came to me and he said, um, here, well, bye. he said, uh, we would prefer if you don't come back here. And I said, well, if I do my job right, I won't have to. <laughs> All right, and I tram walked off. So <clears throat> shortly after that, this man, after we left, about three hours later, this man's eyes popped open. He started talking. His speech was uh, slurred a little bit. But he ended up leaving that hospital. Well, the, the wife ended up at one of our Bible studies that we were having at our house at that time. Uh, the, the guy that had took me up there to pray for the man, uh, he quit going to that church. <laughs> the, the pastor spent about six months, every now and then, just basically blasting me, not by name necessarily, but by what he thought about us. And what he thought wasn't right, because I, I don't put the blame on anybody else. We take responsibility. I don't put it on anybody else. And so he was going off of wrong information. And he, he said, he made a statement one time that he said he would rather, <clears throat> he would rather be, believe what he believed and, and die believing it than to change and believe what some of these faith people believe, because that's what he classified me as. <clears throat> he had just got a new church, just built a new church, uh, took a loan to get a new church, actually, from another group, and built this huge, multi-million dollar church. It was $14, $15 million at that time. We're talking 20 years ago. <clears throat> and about three months after he got into the new church, his wife died of cancer. But he would not believe it. And I didn't know about it until after she had died. And I, some of the people told me, said, didn't you hear about this? I said, no, I didn't hear about it. And they said, well, yeah, well, you know, we, we were going to call you, but we figured, you know, y'all probably had something between y'all and didn't know if you would come or not. I said, listen, of course I would come. I said, I have nothing about him. I don't, you know, he doesn't exist in my world. I don't care, right? I don't care what he thought about me. It made me no difference. And basically the way I put it was, he, he doesn't pay my bills. God pays my bills, 
right? And that's the way I looked at it. So I said, now, I will pray for anybody. We had a man one time that was with another healing group. I, well, I'll tell you, who, he's part of the healing rooms, that, the healing room ministry. He's part of them. He was their representative for Georgia. We went down there and held a meeting in a church, and he blasted us and kept going on and on about this stuff. And then, we, at that time, too, we had a bunch of names and contacts on our website. And he started going on our website and just calling all these people and saying, well, you know, Curry's not a real ministry because he doesn't have a headquarters building. And, you know, we have a headquarters building. And he doesn't, so he's not a real ministry. And I'm like, okay, well, show me where Jesus had a headquarters building. You know, show me Paul's headquarters building. I said, I don't invest in buildings. I invest in people. We travel, we train, that's what we do. And so <clears throat> he was doing all this and calling people. And after about two weeks of this, he, he, he called the wrong people too because he said, or the people, that, they would call me and say, this guy just called and here's what we told him. We said, we've been with Curry. We've seen Curry. We know, you know, we know his life. We know what he does. We're with him. And so they said, you know, he's a real deal. So after about two weeks of that, all of a sudden this man had a heart attack. He goes in the hospital. He's dying. All of his healing room people went up there and prayed for him, got no results. Finally, somebody called me and said, did you hear about this guy? His name was Wayne or something like that. He said, this guy's been saying all this stuff about you and, and uh, you know, he's in the hospital and he's dying and they've been praying for him. They can't, nobody can help him. I said, really? He said, I said, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll be dead in no time. I said, do you have the number to the hospital? They said, yeah. And I said, so I got the number. I called him up. Got a hold of his wife was in the room. I called the room. She answered the phone. I said, please don't hang up. I said, this is Curry Blake. And you could hear it got real quiet. And apparently she'd heard my name a few times from him. Apparently, like I said. And I said, uh, can, I, can I talk to him? Is he awake? And can I talk to him? She said, yeah, he's, he's right here. And so she handed the phone to him. And he said, hello. And I said, I want you to know that first off, I forgive you for judging my heart. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak to your heart. And I command your heart to be healed. I command you to be healed. And I command you to live in Jesus' name. And he got real quiet. And I said, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything at all. I, it's nothing between you and me. I said, anything you said about me, you didn't say it to me. You didn't say it about me. You said it about Jesus. I said, it's that simple. I said, I hold nothing against you. So there's nothing to forgive you for. I said, number one, I'm dead. A dead man doesn't hold grudges. And I said, so I have nothing against you. I said, I'm going to have to forgive you because I didn't take it to heart. You understand? Listen, living that way is better than constantly having to forgive everybody. Right? If, 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 you can't, if I'm dead, you can't offend me. If I don't get offended, I don't have to forgive. It's much easier to live that way than it is constantly trying to get mad and give forgiveness. And you just live dead. Right? And so I told him that. And I said, all right. I said, whenever you get out of the hospital, if you want to, give me a call. Let me know you're out. He, I don't remember him ever really saying a word. Okay? We hung up. Two days later, he was released from the hospital, but never said another word about me. Amen? There's a reason Jesus said, if people curse you, bless them. Why? Because if you are with God, it's not good that they curse you. Amen? Now, you don't send that back to them. You don't have to. They reap what they sow. And that's why you need to pray for these people to make sure that there's nothing there, right? So, now, <clears throat> look at this next one part here. And, um, <clears throat> well, right there, just faith is nothing more than seeing people as God sees them and then treating them as God would treat them. Real simple. <clears throat> in Psalm 32, 8, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Can you hear that? Yeah. 
I will guide you with mine eye. Now, we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit <clears throat> probably later today. It won't be right now. But you need to realize, number one, according to the New Testament, you are constantly led if you're a child of God. Amen. Right? Constantly led. Not every now and then. Constantly. But the constant leading that the Holy Spirit does is to lead and guide you into all truth, which also helps you to cut away everything that does not need to be there. Right? It is a, it's Him showing you what you need to get rid of, basically. How to cut away everything that's not Jesus. And so He leads and guides you, according to Romans 8. And 8.14 it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In the original Greek it says, As many as are constantly led by the Spirit of God. Constantly. Not every now and then. They are the sons of God. And so we have to realize that the Spirit of God in us is constantly leading us. And in context of Romans 8, it's not, Romans 8, it's not talking about leading you to lay hands on the sick or leading you to do something in, in the sense of ministry. It is talking about leading you to kill and mortify the deeds of the flesh so that you look more like Him every day. And if you look more like Him every day, then you won't have to be led to lay hands on the sick. It will be part of your nature and part of who you are. And see, when you think that you have to be led to lay hands on somebody, then what that means is you are allowing yourself to pick and choose who you pray for. So you're deciding, this person I will, that person I won't. This person deserves it, that person doesn't. You live, you die. That's what you're doing. But whenever you take on the nature and character of Christ, then it doesn't matter where you go or who's there or what they've done or what they're doing to you or saying about you. It doesn't matter. It's the nature and character of Christ that comes out through you. It is God loving people through you, and He leads you with His eye. You will see people the way He sees them. You'll see them as just needy. How did Jesus see people? Well, the only way it ever mentions of him seeing people, he said he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as people that had gone astray. He saw them as a sheep in a ditch that need to be brought out. That's how. And so whenever you start to see people the way God sees them, you're not going to see always what they're doing. Because when you see a person and you see what they're doing, you automatically judge right or wrong. I'm not saying you won't know what they're doing. I'm just saying you don't judge them according to that, but you see them as people that need help. You see them literally the way that I learned to start looking at people and see, <clears throat> because there's a major key that the church has lost concerning healing, and that is that the church uses healing as a reward for right living. Get right with God. Get all the sin out, live right, do right, and God will heal you. The, the early New Testament church didn't see healing as a reward. It saw healing as warfare. It saw people as prisoners of war of Satan. And their job was to set the prisoners free. But you, the church has lost that. Mainly because it's easier to use it as a reward because then you're only dealing with good people. Or if you're dealing with people that aren't quote-unquote good people, you have an excuse if they don't get healed because of sin or anything else. But I can tell you, in all my studies, I've gone through all the other camps. I've looked at these things. I've looked at every reason why they say a person shouldn't get healed, why God shouldn't or won't or something you know, won't heal them. And I can tell you, every one of those, every reason that, that is given, I have proven not to be true. Right? I remember the first time we purposely made an appointment to cast a devil out of a person. 
We knew this lady from years before. She's a, a great, strong Pentecostal lady. Uh, just an amazing person. When we knew her, you know, 10, 15 years before that. And then her husband contacted me when he heard that we were praying for people and they were getting well. And he said, you know, I don't know if you remember us or not. We went to this church. I'm like, yeah, I do remember it. And he said, my, my wife you just, just has gone through this and now she's in this situation. And it literally almost catatonic. You could just lead her around and stop her and she'd just kind of stand there. And just, it had become that point. Or at other times, it was just the opposite. She would just pace, just constantly moving like a person that's really nervous and just constantly moving, con just never stand still. And he said, you know, can I bring her out to, uh, for you to pray for? And I said, yeah, that'd be good. You know, bring her out. I think I said, uh, I, I think it was going somewhere, but I said, bring her out like in two days or something like that. And I said, he said, okay, I'll be there. Uh, yeah, they couldn't get there for a, for a day and a half, and I wasn't going to be there the next day, so it was going to take like two days to get her there. And I said, okay, bring her out. And he said, okay, I'll do that. So then I told my wife, I said, uh, this person's coming out. And I told her who she was, and, and she said, yeah, I remember. And she said, uh, what's the problem? I said, well, based on what the man told me, he didn't say this, but based on the description, she's got a devil. And she said, well, what are you going to do? When's she coming? I said, well, she'll be here in two or three days, you know, like two days. She said, well, are you going to fast and pray? I mean, are you going to fast for this? I mean, is this going to be? And, and I told her, I said, no. And she said, well, but, you know, maybe you should. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to. I said, as a matter of fact, to prove that I don't have to fast and pray for this, we're going to go somewhere good and eat tonight. <laughs> On purpose. Why? Because I was killing that sacred cow. You get that? Why? Okay, if I have to fast and pray to cast a devil out or to get a person healed. Now listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to fast. You should fast. Okay? That should be a part of your life. But it should be the correct kind of fast like we talked about yesterday. Okay? But I, what, you have to realize this. If, if I have to fast and pray to get this devil out, then it's because of curry that this devil's coming out. Right? But if I trust God, trust what he said, trust his word, then my fasting and praying has nothing to do with casting out devils. It has, my, it has to do with me trusting his word that he said that believers shall cast out devils. He gave no qualifications on that. He, said, he didn't say after you fasted and prayed and all that kind of stuff. He didn't say that. He said if you're a believer. So I made that point. I said, I'm going to show you. It's faith in God, faith in his word that this works. So she came out. The man said there, he said, I, he said, do you want me to wait? Do you want me to leave? You, you know, what do you mean? I said, it's up to you. He said, well, you know, because they had been through some situation where people tried to cast devils out and it got loud and crazy and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I, I think I'll just come back in a little while if you don't mind. And I said, that's fine. So we sat in the living room or we were in our living room at that time. And when she came in, it was almost like she didn't recognize us, didn't see us. And so she just constantly walking back and forth, constant back and forth. Constant moving. So, and I wanted to, to, you know, directly talk to this thing. And so I would tell her, I said, well, come, come over here and sit down and let's just talk. She would sit down. I mean, as soon as she sat down, she, right back up, going back, looking at everything. Oh, what's this? What's that? Just looking at everything on our walls, trying to draw attention away from anything, you know, from, from what we were doing and trying to draw attention to anything that she could. And so finally I said, well, come back over here and sit down. And, I, and two or three times she did that. So then finally I said, well, I tell you what, um, here, let's just talk a bit. Come back here and sit down. So when she sat down, I took my chair, scooted right in front of her, and literally our knees were touching where she couldn't get up and go anywhere. I just kind of blocked her in. <clears throat> and, and when I said I did, you already seen her, all of a sudden her head drop, 
And then she started looking around, you know, at anything. And so finally, we're sitting there and she's looking around and I'm just kind of talking with her. Just, well, you know, how you been doing? I've been doing fine. I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. Just looking around. And so finally I said, okay, well, uh, then, you know, your husband's going to be back here in a little bit. And so we need to get on with what we're going to do. Okay, well, whatever you think. I mean, just, you know, just talk. I mean, there's no connection whatsoever, really. So finally I looked at her and she's kind of looking around and I knew I wanted to get her attention and I wanted, some of these things you just have to play by ear. There's not a, there's not a formula, you know? And so she's kind of looking around. So finally I said, well, all right, here's what we're going to do then. Um, basically in the name of Jesus, like that, and all of a sudden she's like, looked at me. As soon as she looked at me, I said, you come out of her and just started going after it. But I, I got her to look at me. And as soon as we locked eyes, it was over. All right. And so I did something to draw her attention so that she would look. And then as soon as we locked in, then I just started telling her, you will leave her. You're going to leave her now. And she started talking back in a different voice. And started saying, I ain't going nowhere. You got no power over me. You can't do anything. And I said, well, first off, I already know this. You're a lying spirit. And I said, because I do have authority over you because I'm here in Jesus' name. And then she started crying. And what devils will do, first they'll try to be belligerent. And then if they see that doesn't intimidate you, they'll try to get you to feel pity for them and start whining and crying and whimpering and try to get that pity out of you so that you'll back off of the authority and start trying to say, oh, you poor thing, don't worry, it's going to be... Okay, Jesus never said love a devil out. He said cast it, right? He didn't say counsel it out. He said cast it. And the word cast, ekbalo, means to throw out with force, right? So you don't back off of those things. You don't talk sweet to them. You don't let them take control of the situation. And it took about three minutes. And this woman's entire countenance changed. Everything changed. And all of a sudden, she started crying and, and leaned over to hug me. And I grabbed her hands and I said, you are free in Jesus' name. I stood her up, told her to walk around. I said, now, say this with me. And she said, say what? Say what? I said, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. I'm born again, born of his spirit. I'm born again, born. And she just repeated. And within five minutes, she was singing to God, praying to God, back right with God. And before she left there, she was speaking in other tongues. Right? And when her husband showed up, the first thing he looked at her and he said, I've got a new wife. First thing he said. And she went out of there. And we, I really, to be honest with you, I hadn't heard much from him since. I think we heard a little bit from him while we were up there and then we moved out of the area. But I have never heard anything but good. Yeah. Right? Now, the reason I say that is because you have to realize it's faith in his word. God, I didn't fast. I didn't pray. I didn't ask God, what do you want me to do with this? You know? We were in the same house. This is where we kind of got started. I got to send you to break. Tell you the story real quick. <laughs> okay? Uh, we were in this house. It was a, had a big den kind of area, open area that I used as kind of a library and study. And I had all these papers laid out. And this young woman, uh, this man that got healed, as a matter of fact, of mercury poisoning, started bringing people out to us to, to pray for. He got healed, so he just started bringing everybody out. And so he brought this woman out that was, uh, what was it? she was 21, 22 years old, I think it was. Yeah. And she had been diagnosed with cancer like five different times. Every, she'd been operated on, I think they said 11 times to remove the cancer. And every time they got it, they said, we, did, we were pretty sure we got it all. And then within a couple of months, it would show up somewhere else. And it was just bouncing all over her body. And literally, they had just cut her to pieces. 
and 21, 22 years old. And so <clears throat> I'm sitting in the floor. I got all these papers laid out all around me and I'm sorting these things and they just show up. And so when they showed up, I, I, I'm sitting there and I said, all right. And I'm trying to get this stuff done. And I said, well, okay, I heard, you know, you were coming. So just tell me your story. What, what's going on? And this guy was standing there. He's kind of like, come on, Curry, you know, do, do your thing. Do it, you know, fix her, you know. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm just, everybody has an idea of how I should do things. Yeah, amen. Right? <laughs> Don't come with a preconceived idea, right? Don't come thinking, I'm going to get there and Brother Curry is going to call me out and call my name and tell me where I live, my address, and then I'm going to be, that's not, that's generally not the way I operate, right? I'm not saying I couldn't. I've done some things like that before, but I don't focus on that. I, I, I don't rely on that. I focus on dominion and authority in the name of Jesus and faith in his word. That's what we focus on, okay? And the reason being is anybody can do that, right? So not everybody operates in gifts. So we don't emphasize gifts. Gifts are great, but what God instructed us to do in this is to make this available for what all believers can do according to Mark 16. So this is that. So that what I'm teaching you, anybody can do. You don't have to have a gift to do this, right? So... I'm there, and this woman's telling me, well, it started with this and went through this surgery and that surgery, and it was, it was bad. I mean, it was pretty sad, you know, to hear her story. And I'm sitting there, and this guy's looking at me like, what is your deal, you know? Do, do something. And she's going on. Then I got this surgery, and they did this, and, and he goes on. And very honestly, I'd heard some stuff like it before, so it wasn't, I wasn't breaking down in tears over it. It was, it was sad, but I was sitting there, and I'm still, you know, organizing papers. And then she said, and, and probably the thing that bothers me the most is that 24 months ago, 20, yeah, I think she said 24 months ago, I had a little boy, and she said, because of this cancer in my body, it's weakened all my bones, and I can't pick him up. I've never been able to hold my son from the day he was born. She said, I tried, and when I picked him up, my, I would put him against me, and my ribs would break because her bones were so brittle. And she said, I'd try to hold him, and my wrist would break. And so when she, and then she started, and it, when I heard that, I, okay, that's just not right. Somebody that can't hold their baby, they've had a baby and haven't been able to hold them for the full two years that they've been alive. They can't, the baby holds out their arms and all she can do is pat them. They can't pick them up and hold them. I said, that isn't right. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, now I've stopped shuffling papers and I'm listening to this and she's going to, and I can't pick him up and I've never been able to hold him. And I'm, now, it's not that I'm getting sad over this. I'm getting mad. That's true. <laughs> That's right. Because I'm thinking, this ain't right. God, this ain't what God intended. Children are to be a blessing of the Lord. Yeah. Right? And we're to enjoy that blessing. And so I just got mad. I'm like, oh, no. You know, it's like, okay, it's on now. Where This is it. And so I push all the papers aside, and I start to get up. And my friend's like, yeah, about time. You know? <laughs> and I'll never forget it, because this woman, she, she herself said she was Baptist. And she told me, she said, I'm Baptist. I don't know about all this healing stuff. I don't, I don't understand this. And so I started walking toward her, and I said, well, we're going to take care of it right now. And, I, and it was a funny thing, because she said she didn't know anything, but she'd been watching something. Because when I started walking toward her, the first thing she does is she's standing, she, goes, she sees me coming toward her, and she goes... Uh. I mean, so I don't know why she... But, you know, that, was, that wasn't a typical Baptist position, okay? So I don't know what she was watching, but she was getting information from somewhere. And she closed her eyes and had her arms up, and I just started walking toward her. And this is one of the first times... This was the second time that I'd ever experienced something like this. And I started walking toward her, and I just put my hands up because I was just going to put my hands on the side of her head and command this thing to go. And as I got close to her, her eyes were closed. She could not see me. This friend was standing there. And as I got close to her, I got about maybe this far away. And as I started coming toward her, 
I noticed as I moved toward her, she, she was standing like this and she started going backwards. And she kind of went, and so I did, I moved my hands to see what she was doing because I thought she was going to fall. I moved my hands. When I moved my hands, she came back forward. So I did, did this and did that. And she goes like this, back and forth. And I'm doing this. And now, now I'm noticing what's going on. And she's literally going with my hands like this far apart. And I look at this guy standing here that brought her out there. And I'm like, he's in. And he's like, because yeah, okay. we didn't want to say anything. You know, and I'm thinking, I could do this. And she'd spin around in circles. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? I mean, cause I, I, you know, I'm a Reese. <laughs> I'm a researcher. I, I, I analyze these things. I, I want to know, know what's behind it. I want to know that it works. I want to know kind of how it works as much as I can. And so I started looking at this, and I'm thinking, maybe if I did this, if I did that, what would she do? Would she do this? I mean, you know, you all these things. And I started noticing it. So then finally I kept walking toward her. And when I got about this far from her, I never, I don't ever remember touching her. But when I got about, about this far away from her, all of a sudden my hands came kind of about this far on each side of her head. And she's standing like this, and all of a sudden she goes, oh, and almost fell, and then kind of jumped back up, and she goes, what was that? And I, I, I don't know, I didn't touch you. What, what was it? She said, well, something just went whoosh all through my body. Come on. And I said, oh, that was the Holy Ghost. He just whooshed all that cancer right out of you. I said, you're, I said, you're healed. And, and she said, really? I said, yeah, go, go get checked. I said, you're healed. She went back to the doctor. That was a Saturday. Yeah. Monday, she went back to the doctor. Doctors checked her out, did all kinds of tests on her. They didn't want to. They said there's no need to because they'd seen her before. But she insisted, and they went through all these tests, and it took about a week or so to actually get all the tests back. But when that came back, they said she was absolutely cancer-free. Absolutely cancer-free. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So the reason I'm telling you this is that we've, we've seen some of these things happen, and it had nothing to do with what happened to me. Listen, compassion has two sides. On one side, there's this tremendous love for people. You want to see them free. On the other side, there's this tremendous hatred for sickness and disease and for anything that would hold people in bondage. Amen. People always think of compassion as, oh, you sweet little thing. No, that's sympathy. That's not compassion. Yeah. See, sympathy says, oh, you poor thing. I wish there was something I could do to help. Compassion says, oh, you poor thing. Let me help you. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Compassion is love that pushes you to action. Right? So... Take a break. Take a quick break. <laughs> About seven minutes worth of a break. All right. Pastor Buzzy, and I don't, <clears throat> I don't mean just, you know, in meetings preaching. I'm just about before and afterwards. You're just on the telephone a lot. He, he was good. Kind of had a rolodex, and, and you don't ever know when he's going to get a call. But <clears throat> you know, we just talk about all kinds of things and because uh, you know he preached a lot of this and what in Christ and, and he said uh, he said you know a lot, a lot of things he said I just learned by by doing it he said just amazing <clears throat> and I don't know if he I know I've shared this I don't know if he ever shared it when he was with us he said uh, I went in a, a room one time where a guy was uh, not expected to live I can't remember the situation but he was he had no immune system, and he was in one of these, I don't know, bubble t type, you know what I'm talking about, oxygen tent, but it was it was the whole body. And the way they would, you know, give him what he needed medically, they had sleeves, so to speak, to reach in and do what they had to do, but no one was touching him hand to hand. 
He said no immune system at all. <clears throat> you know, and everything Pastor Buzzy taught was about what you have and who you are in Christ. Not what you are, but who you are in Him. And uh, he said, uh, so he was there and he said, he just asked him questions and he'd look at the monitor and they said, well, you know, this is this and this is this and he's been in a coma for days and, and uh, whatever, and I, I wish I could remember what uh, some of y'all may know uh, medically, but it's, you know, if, his, if this level goes up to here, he might wake up, but he's, it hasn't been that way in days and he's in a coma. And, uh, and he just has no immune system. And there's just really no chance for him. And the doctors are talking to the family about taking them, you know, turning the machine off. But they haven't made that decision yet. So someone, you know, who about Pastor Buzzy said, would you, would you go in there and pray? So he said, sure. So he went up there and he said, um, <clears throat> he said, they told me I could pray. And if, if it was important to me to, to you know, to touch, they, they allowed me to put my hand through that sleeve. And he says, he said, I went up there and he said, I put my hand in the sleeve. And he said, I, and, you know, I just started praying in tongues rather forcefully. He said, then I'd watch the monitor, and it, it would like, he said, then I'd stop praying in tongues, and then he'd go, he said, hmm. so he put it back in there, he said, pray in tongues. He said, take it back out. And uh, he said, then the monitor would come right back down immediately. He said, and he just thought about that for a while, I didn't know what to think about it. You know, one of his sermons, and he had a tie of this, is that we are, uh, where Jesus was skin on, remember that? He said, really, it shouldn't even take tongues. He said, believers lay hands on the sick. So he got to thinking about who he was and who was in him and whose faith it was and all such as this. And he said, that was my main consciousness is in my mind, in my mind that I'm just, I'm the, I'm the hands and feet of Jesus and I'm the, I'm the extension of him. So he said, I determined this time not to pray in tongues, but just consciously, my faith is my faith. It, it's his faith, and it's not even my faith. And so he he put his hand back to his sleeve, and he says, and this is and that's what my thinking was. He said, I put my hands on on him, and he says, said nothing, and he said, and I just simply in my thinking just released the life of God. He said, and the monitor went, and the guy's eyes popped open, and he said, Who are you? <laughs> Been asleep for days. That totally healed immune system all came back and uh, maybe still be alive today, I don't know. But, uh, you know, in the scripture, and we, we read a lot around here, but uh, one of the points on the early part of the teaching, and I just want to read one scripture to you, is Galatians 2.20. And in, until you settle this, then if you're asked to pray or you go to pray, um, until you can settle this part of it, then you'll be, you'll come across something that intimidates you. Because it looks big. And naturally speaking, it is big. Maybe big to medical science, maybe big to the, the whole world. But if you, if you go in that way, and, you're, and your consciousness is you, you're, you're, you're already on the losing side. You won't, you won't be able to do much. So your, your focus and your thinking has to be this, Galatians 
you know, he was talking about uh, not taking that offense from this other pastor. Remember, he's talking about it because he said he lived dead. Y'all know what he's talking about, don't you? In other words, you know, if you if you had a, if you had a trouble with alcohol, or if you knew someone had trouble with alcohol, and they died, you could go to their grave and put a whole case of whatever they might have drank, and it it just won't do anything with it. There's no pull on them to get out of there somehow. Why? Because they're they're dead, right? And when you don't take offense when it's being given, and the way that you do that is you just purpose in your heart, like Jesus did. He said, "Father, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing." And uh, and, and we jokingly say it, you know, if they knew what they were doing to me, they wouldn't do this because to know me is to what love me, right? <laughs> so you, you you just don't take offense, and really, what you just feel for them is is just sympathy. You know, think if they really knew the truth, then they wouldn't say the things that they're saying. So you don't, what he's saying is you don't have to take the offense. So there's nothing that you need to get out of your heart to forgive them because you never took the offense anyway. So there's nothing on your side to release because you're dead. So that's in this verse in Galatians 2.20. Paul said, and it's a, it's a substitute scripture. It's, it's symbolic in many ways. He said, Paul said, I... Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Well, there was two other people on the cross, and Paul wasn't one of them, was he? He said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I. So you get that part? Paul said, in other words, when, when Jesus died, I died with him. When they, or they crucified, when they crucified Christ, he symbolically, they crucified me. Because he was being crucified for my sin. So it was like Paul said, I was crucified. He said, but nevertheless, you can see me. I'm not crucified and dead because you see me here alive. He said, he said but yet really, really it's not even me. He said, it's Christ liveth in me. So what, what is his awareness when he says, I died, but yet I know you see me, but it's not really me that you see. Who do you see? Christ in me. So this is talking about identification. So who does Paul identify himself with? Christ. Totally, right? Now watch here. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So whose, whose life is it? It's Christ's life. Whose faith is it? It's the faith of Christ. So when you approach a situation and you thought, this has nothing to do with my, my faith, you can put your name on it. This is the faith of Christ. How, how do you feel approaching something saying, I have the exact faith of Jesus in me? And how will it do against this, this situation? You know, Jesus didn't need a 20-week seminar to get something done. Huh? Jesus talked to the fig tree like Brother Copas said, he said he spoke nine words to it and turned off and never talked to it again. He said he, he never thought about it until Peter said something the next day. Right? But we quoted the whole Bible 17,000 times. That's because we're thinking about us instead of thinking about who we are in him and his life and his faith. That, that, I, I hope that helps you. That's why I sometimes the translations that Pastor Buzzy put out years ago and the one, and I've quoted it so many times, uh, 
sometimes you can read a different translation and it'll just cause life to just, I mean, it'll cause revelation that you're like, oh, I see something here. You ever done that with a different translation? So the distilled Bible would said, Paul said of this verse in the distilled Bible said, I died where Paul, King James says, I was crucified. Distilled said, I died, but I am enjoying my second existence, which is Jesus simply using my body. That's kind of like a puppet, right? So you're saying, I am this puppet. Put your hand in there and do what you want to. <laughs> now, who has control once the hand's in? Jesus or, or whoever the hand in, right? So you just become Jesus with, on the outside with skin on. But on the inside, you're full of Jesus. That's right. And this, this is true of what he's talking about. It may not be every time. Well, devils like this, pretty much on the front end, there's the bully part. Uh, that scares most, even Pentecostals. They, most of them fill up their huggies at that point when they do it that way. But if they see that they, you know who you are, generally, because they're, they're still trying to hide. The reason why they're hiding is because if, if they're not in that person, in their flesh, then, they're, then they get cast out. They're homeless. And until they can find another home. So they don't want to give up that body, that flesh. So they'll hide from you. So usually it's the bully tactic in front, and if that doesn't work before they have to go out, then they'll come back and they'll play the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, and then, then you'll think, well, maybe I was wrong about this, and here's this woman suffering, and here I am, you know, I done got rough with her. I better just, oh, I'm sorry. And that's, and, and that's what they want you to do. So we just go with the old saying, when in doubt, go on and cast it out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you'll, you'll get help there every time. But it's important that you see his faith. Faith is, is, of, the, is of the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit, right? Well, that, so it's, it's the faith of God in you. You don't have a faith apart from him. Hmm? See, I mean, it's not like, well, I mean, there's a million illustrations you could do. If you was painting, I don't know if it's a good illustration, but if, you know, like, like, like if you were painting or you was painting uh, on a canvas by looking at a painting, even if, even if it was to the amateur eye, even if it looked the same, it wouldn't be the same. It'd be a different painting on a different canvas, although... You know, a professional painter would know the difference, but if you're that good, maybe I wouldn't or we wouldn't know the difference, but maybe, maybe somebody else would. But it will never be that painting, right? In other words, someone might tell you, oh, you look just like your mama or your daddy, right? And, that, and you have those natural characteristics, but you're not them, right? You may look like them. You may have an identical twin, but the twin is not the other one. So... But the faith that you have in you, it's not a duplicate. It's his faith. It's not even a good copy. I mean, if you have a good copier, you can put a, I mean, if you have a really good copier, you can put one in there and run copies. And then if no one was there when you did it, they don't know the difference between the duplicate and the master. So when he, Jesus is the master copy, and we're, we're the duplicate, 
But if you understand who you are in him, when the devil's, you're dealing with the devil, he don't know if he's dealing with the copy or the duplicate, the master or the duplicate, because, that's, because you are, he is you in, in you, Christ, Christ in you, right? And I, I know I'm beating this like a dead horse, but I'm just saying that that's where the, people say, well, I just, Pastor, I brought them, I just thought you could pray for them. Well, I'm thinking you can. Well, yeah. The reason why we're doing that is what? We don't have confidence for this situation, so this is what you do. You, you do it, right? Well, that's okay for a while, but when do we get to the place to we, we understand this? And when we understand this, it'll, it'll turn it all around. So it's not being bold in us, it's, it's being bold. We, we have confidence, not in the flesh, we have confidence in him because of who's in us. And the devil knows who he's dealing with. Remember, remember the seven sons gave They said, we know Paul, we know Jesus, who are you? You know, you're, you're saying, because he was quoting, he says, I cast you out by the, by the name that Paul and them preach. <laughs> well, that's a big clue to the devil. <laughs> you don't even know who that is. And so uh, there was a casting, but it worked the other way. <laughs> the devil cast that man out. And uh, so this is who we are. Amen. Are, are y'all enjoying these? Uh, is it helpful? And uh, <clears throat> I, I, I think they're really good. And so his, his, his main emphasis, and he said it, but he, uh, Curry Blake's ministry is, is what? From John G. Lake is authority and dominion, and who, and who we are in him, which was John G. Lake. And if there's gifts involved, great. But you see, if there's gifts involved, then you really can't have a seminar and teach if you're going to do everything through gifts because that can't always be duplicated. But this can be duplicated if you have a teacher and a student and the student's interested. See what I'm saying? In other words, you can teach this, you can get this information right, right here, and go teach someone else in a Bible study, and you can duplicate yourself over a hundred times, and send a hundred people like him out, and, and and you can do it through your living room or somewhere. So we just happen to be starting here tonight. 